The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. Good morning, Long Island. Welcome to DDI on Autism on 103.9 FM, keeping an eye on autism and giving a voice to the Long Island community. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romas, and I'm so glad that you can join us this morning as we share and explore all relevant issues related to autism spectrum disorder. Well, this morning, we'll be continuing my conversation with Thomas Island, who was diagnosed at age 13 with autism. He is a certified, well, he was a certified, he will always be a certified public accounting, but he's moved on to other interests. He's written a book, Come to Life Coaching, which is based on the title of his award-winning best-selling book, Come to Life, Your Guide to Self-Discovery. For those of you who were with us last week, you know he's a certified human potential coach, a consultant, diversity, equity, inclusion, and the only Toastmasters international accredited speaker with autism in the world. I think that is so cool, uh, cool Thomas. First of all, thank you for making this time and coming back to us to continue our, you know, our conversation. Much appreciated. My pleasure, doctor. Sure. You know, when we left off, Thomas, I just a couple of things. We were just beginning to talk a little bit more about the fundamental uh, um, importance and maybe imperative of families to prepare their sons and daughters regardless of a diagnosis, as a matter of fact, for real independence in life so they can enjoy a rich, a rich life. And you reflected a little bit around how your parents approached that uh, with you. And in my mind, when I re- read, about, uh, read a little bit about your book and the title of the book and your role as a coach, maybe you could speak to our listeners about the book itself and how you do this in your working Certainly. So my book is titled Come to Life, Your Guide to Self-Discovery. And I wrote this book with my mother, Emily, because we wanted to share our secrets to success and also have a workbook that families can use, that professionals can use to help find answers that our young people need to know and that the allies, as we call them in Come to Life, parents, professionals, what have you, that everybody needs to know how this young person can live the best life possible. And a lot of times we we bring them to the table, we ask the questions. And a lot of times the answer is, I don't know, because too many young people, a lot of times don't know what their options are. So we ask them things like, who are you? What do you want to be? How are you going to make the world a better place? But once we start to help our young people explore what those options are, help them go out there, see what is available and see what really resonates with them. And also so that they get some experience because particularly for those with developmental disabilities like autism, they have to actually see it with their own eyes, touch it with their own hands or feel it in their own sense to get an idea as to what something is. Like if you ask them to imagine or envision something, that's not always successful, but put them in that environment so then they can see and feel it for themselves. Then they'll be clear about whether or not they want to continue with that. And then from there, they can make better decisions and evolve as human beings. This is a process we talk about and come to life. Explore, experience, evolve. It's, I think, a big missing piece of the puzzle, if you will, 
that our young people need in order to be more successful and pursue a life that they really feel good about versus going along with what others think they're good at or not speaking up to like, I don't agree with this or I don't feel good about this. Can we do something else, please? So that, that is key, in my opinion, to living your best life when you know what's out there, when you know what works for you and what doesn't, and that you can say how you're feeling about it. You know, Tom, when you were describing the importance of getting in touch with what might be right for you, and particularly the explore portion of that that equation, and then you mentioned a, a workbook, which gave me the feeling that there might be an applied approach to this, that there might be some structure around the way you help people find the right path. Is that correct? Is there a structure? Are there particular questions or activities that you utilize to kind of pull this, this growth? And, and mind you, the pro- it, it's, a, it's a process. Self-discovery is a process, starting with knowing yourself. I have a mantra that I created, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself. And each of those three parts have a chapter in the book. So starting with knowing yourself, particularly about your diagnosis, because if you have a diagnosis, A, you need to know about that. B, you need to know how it impacts you. And C, you need to know what kind of help you need to ask for or what kind of assistance you may need. And I think there are a lot of young people out there who may not have a diagnosis or maybe it hasn't been brought to their attention, but they can sense something is off and they'll go to the family or the parents looking for answers. And so that discussion about the diagnosis needs to be had at some point. And then loving yourself Accepting that, yes, the diagnosis might be part of you, but it doesn't have to be all of you. In my opinion, your diagnosis does not have to be your definition, particularly when it comes to the difficulties you might be facing, because we all have struggles. We all have things we find difficult. Nobody's perfect, and that it's okay to be a little different. I think diversity and differences are starting to be more accepted in today's society, And when people have that unique perspective they bring to the table, that is the win-win for everybody. And then finally, the third part, being yourself, living a life that is true and authentic to you versus looking to please others or saying something like, I I have to be an engineer because my father was an engineer and his father was an engineer. I have to continue the family tradition, but I don't like engineering. Mm -hmm. So then you start to see what you do like and pursue a life that you really want and not have to seek approval of others. Because I think when we live a life that is true and unique and authentic to each of us, then we become better as a society. So that's the the foundation of come to life, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and then exploring experience and evolving and finding your niche and your voice in a sense, Mm -hmm. so that you can really become the hero in your life. Like you are empowered to become the person you want to be and you use that power to make the world better. That's the premise and the basis of come to life. You know, as you described uh, what you described as a mantra and I've been listening carefully, it seems to align kind of nicely with this movement away from pathologizing people who are on the spectrum uh, as necessarily, because once you even ascribe the diagnosis of something, that puts it in a certain category, doesn't it? So it's one thing to 
Think about yourself. Would you agree with this, though? Think about your uh, uh, special proclivities, some of the constraints, what makes you different in the world without it necessitating a diagnosis in some pathological sense, right? Because there is that movement that I think you alluded to around neurodiversity and such. Is that a conversation that you have with some of the people who approach you uh, for some life coaching? Is that part of the discussion? It is, particularly when it comes to how somebody identifies. And I think it's the autism community in particular that is a little bit controversial about uh, how we identify. Like there's person first language. I'm a man with autism or I'm on the autism spectrum. This is, this is my personal preference because the way I see it, if we want to be acknowledged and accepted by humanity, we must first acknowledge and accept our own humanity. We are members of the human race. We might be a little different than you, but we are still human. We have something to offer. We have more similarities than you might think. Then there's identity first language. Like I'm autistic or I'm an autistic. There are people in the autism or autistic community that identify so much with their diagnosis, make it a huge part of their personality that it gets to the point, even some extremes where they don't even talk to people who don't use the same language that they do. And I call myself a little bit of an outlier, if you will, because I use the less popular language preference. And yet I also kind of stand out in my own ways. And yeah, I do have circles and conversations that I blend in with and that I jive with, but I'm also kind of standing out going to high places because I feel the way I do or the language I use has helped me get there. So it's a conversation I have with my clients. How do you see yourself? Are you calling yourself this because you really feel this way? Or is it is that is what has been told to you most of your life and you've come to believe or accept it? So really finding how somebody really feels about themselves and also thinking about the psychology behind like the words we use, like functioning labels, using high functioning Mm -hmm. dismisses needs and struggles. Whereas people who appear smart and are told, ah, you'll figure it out. They could really use the help and people don't seem to want to give it to them. And then low functioning, you call somebody that it, it seems insulting and it definitely discounts or dismisses their strengths and capabilities, particularly if, if they don't speak, they can still show up. They can still put a smile on their face. They can still offer something that other people might appreciate and really respect and grow to love. So I suggest whenever possible, you do away with those F words, the function yeah. <laughs> to describe people. Nicely framed. Like, we'll, we'll come back to this. But I do find myself responding to that in a very, it, it's, it's thought provoking because would we ever describe someone outside of the context of autism as high or low function? Would we ever do that? And the answer is, is no so let's go to you know, let's go to a break uh you're listening to thomas island our conversation will continue in just a moment you're listening to ddi and autism stay with us Welcome back, Long Island. You're listening to DDI on Autism on 103.9 FM. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romas. Continue my conversation with Thomas Island. Thomas, 
still a lot more to talk about here. And right where we left off, we were talking about your role as an advocate, as, as, as an author, and what you bring to the table uh, as an author, and particularly with respect to how people self-identify and really keeping an open ear uh, clearly around what works for them. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, Mostly what I found myself walking away with is a rich understanding, because it's both personal and professional for you, perhaps, of what the journey uh, can be like. And you were kind enough to share a good piece of, of your story. Where are you going? What's, what, what's on the horizon for you? Right. So looking at uh, 2023, I'll start with uh, my Ironman endeavors. I plan to race every California Ironman event. That's four half Ironmans and one full Ironman over the course of 2023. And for those of you that haven't heard about the Ironman triathlons, 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of bike riding, and 26.2 miles of running back to back to back in under 17 hours. Mm. And I finished my very first one in Maryland a month ago. I had failed twice beforehand. I didn't finish one in Texas in October. I didn't finish one in Iowa in June. Finally finished one in September in Maryland. So third time was the charm. And I think I've been kind of bitten by the Ironman bug to where I want to keep racing, keep showing the world that someone with autism and the sensory sensitivities and all the uh, environmental management and nutritional Awareness, all that good stuff has to be monitored and looked at over the course of the race. So I'm going to keep that going in 2023. I also recently partnered with the Ed Asner Family Center in Reseda, California. This organization is designed to give young people and even young adults on the autism spectrum access to services, namely classes on topics and subjects they may not have had in their schooling growing up. So for instance, dating. I teach a class about dating at the Ed Asner Family Center, sharing my relationship experiences with older and younger women on and off the autism spectrum. We also teach sex ed because I think some families find it difficult to have that talk of the birds and the bees. And so when they can hear it from someone with autism, that makes it a little more, more relatable. We also are going to be starting in 2023 a class about job readiness and vocational skills because I have several jobs and years of experience in corporate America and going through several interviews over the years that I know the ins and outs of that process. And the interview itself can be very daunting for people on the autism spectrum, being able to sit there, stay calm, answer questions, stay on topic, show where they failed, but what they learned from those failures and making them seem like the ideal candidate for that job. It is a very difficult process. And even though there are a lot of people with autism who are really gifted when it comes to the hard skills, like they can do mental math very quick, or they have such a unique gift when it comes to repetitive tasks, or they can do computer work very well. If they can't talk to people, or if they say the wrong thing to a customer or a manager, that could warrant them getting terminated. Mm. So. So I'm going to be working with the Ed Asner Family Center to teach those soft skills, like social communication, interpersonal skills that aren't really taught in a classroom, but are needed in multiple sectors and jobs in the industries so that we can bridge those gaps and people on the spectrum can find, like I wanted in my life, permanent, gainful, full-time employment. Mm. 
That is a goal I think should be every in everybody's educational plan. Your young person will find permanent, full-time, gainful employment once they learn those vital soft skills. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Tom, this, that has come up a few times on the show where people on the spectrum are so underrepresented in the workforce and underutilized and underpaid So very often. So this idea of really recognizing people's strengths and prepare them and preparing them for those kind of opportunities and the presentation that is necessary to be considered for those opportunities, right? What I was interested in a little bit is that uh, we were all interrupted, of course, by the, the pandemic. It was such an, an important moment. Did that affect these classes? When did this start? Is this done virtually? How, what does this look like now? So the Ed Asner classes are all in person. We're finding that the face-to-face contact, and I live a few minutes from that center, and being able to, for them to have the hands-on example, like having the face-to-face or show, showing them the papers, having the actual example. We also do uh, role-playing or like mock interviews or mock dating, and that feels a lot more real instead of across a screen like this. And not that, I, not that a, a virtual environment is not good because I found during the pandemic and I had taken an online course to become a certified human potential coach. We had zoom courses, we had zoom meetings. So I was ready for the online environment. And I actually like being able to work from home instead of having to get in a car, fight traffic and go to go through all that. So I find I actually kind of prepared my entire life for the pandemic, the virtual environment that it had, but I also appreciate the face-to-face meeting, particularly if it helps my clients learn better and help them be more successful. You know, the dating role play that you mentioned, uh, is that, what is that like? Is is it awkward? Is it scripted? Is it uh, spontaneous? What what does that look like in in the classroom? How do do you do that? We we just had some mock dating uh, two days ago at the dating spectrum. We were at that section of the curriculum. And so we have a round table set up in the middle of the room with two chairs and people could volunteer to go on a mock date. And we have gone over certain things like uh, what kind of questions you can ask, uh, what flirting looks or sounds like, uh, body language and nonverbal communication. How does someone show they're interested? Like they might lean forward, put their hand on their cheek or something, or if they're kind of leaning back in their chair, looking like they're tired or gazing around the room. So looking for little signs, however discreet or obvious they might be, to get a sense of how well or how not well this date is going. And for the mock dating that we've had, it's been very, very successful. And we actually just had uh, an actress from As We See It, the TV series, Sue Ann was her first name. Her last name escapes me right now. But she came and shared some of her stories of being married to a woman, the relationship struggles and successes that they've had. And it really brought some new light and some reality to the situation or not situation, but uh, scene that people on the autism spectrum, they do want friends. They do want relationships. They do want marriage or children in some cases, and that we should not be thinking that they should be alone for the rest of their lives or that they are going to be alone for the rest of their lives. So the dating spectrum has, that's the name of the course, the dating spectrum has really shown that people with autism have something to offer a relationship. And if we keep an open mind and open heart, that they will find and keep love. 
a great title for the course also. I mean, just, just perfect, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's just perfect. Okay. It's, so, it's so clever. Rob, what I was thinking too, you know, when you were talking about how to elicit an understanding of flirting, of dating and showing interest, and you, you, you demonstrate it by kind of leaning in a little bit. It seems that what might start out initially as awkward or artificial or, or scripted, do you find time, do you find over time that becomes more and more natural? That what might, again, that what might start as an effort. Do people, your own experience, as a matter of fact, did you find that a lot of this became second nature and just that, that, that ability to read the cues got stronger? In my experience, I found that people were kind of turned off by me talking about Star Wars or what I wanted to talk about all day long. Right. And after I got out of a four-year relationship with a woman on the autism spectrum, I started reading up on self-help books and romance books like The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus by Dr. John Gray. And that was really an eye-opener for me. Like men want to be the problem solvers. Men want to be able to fix things or find solutions. Whereas women want to be listened to. They may not want an answer or a solution right there. They just want someone to hear them out, understand them better. And so after I read that book, I started becoming more actively listening. I did less talking and more listening to what the people in my life had to say. And that made a world of a difference because I think in this day and age, particularly with the pandemic and the mental health matters that have come out of them, people want someone to talk to, not to correct them, not to judge them, not to offer suggestions, just sit back and listen. So that I think was a huge eye opener and world changer for me that I need to talk less and listen more. And I think if more people on the autism spectrum they may have things they want to talk about and they will get that turn, but silence can be golden. If you just hear somebody out, really take the time and make a genuine effort to understand the person you are speaking with. Then you start to look better and more mature even in their eyes and they'll trust you more. They will love you more and they will appreciate you more. Talking more, I'm talking less and listening more. Boy, is that the right note for us to to conclude on? Uh, Thomas Island, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your personal journey, and all the the work you've done, your books, your your life coaching, your your speech. Uh, I'm going to want to continue and follow your journey, and I hope you'll come back again. Certainly, I'd love to. Thank you so much. You know, you're listening to TDI on Autism on 103.9 FM. Again, Tom, thank you. You're very welcome. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.